Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sound of Play. My name is Ryan Heyman, and today I'm not joined by anyone because we have a very unorthodox Sound of Play for you today. And uh, yeah, we're, we're trying something new. We're seeing if it sticks. And uh, yeah, we'll just give us some feedback because we're kind of firing blind here. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it's an experiment. We'll see where it takes us. But before we get into that, I wanted to highlight that we were interviewed recently. It was uh, myself, Jay, and Leon on Laced Records website. Interviewed, of course, by Thomas Quilfelt, who has done some of our Sound of Play extras in the past and has joined us on our year-end special. And so, you know, he should be a somewhat familiar name. Uh, but during the course of that interview, uh, one of the questions that came up was, what do we want to do with the show in the future? And, and other avenues which we'd like to expand, different things we'd like to try, experiment with. And uh, my answer was, it'd be really cool to do like a sound exploder type thing. It's another podcast in which the host analyzes music and talks to the original composer and kind of breaks down the music section by section and sometimes instrument by instrument to really get a sense of what's going on in the music, to really let you hear all the details that kind of fall to the background while you're listening to the music normally. I, and I always thought that was a really cool idea. Since answering that question, I kind of got to thinking, what would it actually take to accomplish something like that? You know, instead of saying it would be fun to do in the future, why not just try it now and see what happens. So that's what we're doing today. We're doing a song exploder format. <laughs> Look at one song in particular, and we're looking at three different versions of that song, but it's still probably going to be on the short side for an episode. And we're going to really kind of deeply analyze each of the instruments that goes into each version of that song and see how they how they remain the same, how they differ, and what effect each of those uh, differences between the versions has. I hope it will be really interesting. <laughs> I've worked really hard to try to get this format figured out over the last week. Uh, you know, trying to separate instrument samples from video games. It was a huge process. I tried all sorts of different things and ended up coming up with some pretty solid solutions that I think will give us some uh, freedom to do this kind of thing on all sorts of different video game systems going forward. And so... You know, if you have requests, songs that you would like to see pulled apart like this, you know, I, I've got this mostly working on uh, on quite a few systems and throughout many decades of video game music. And so, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see where this takes us. But please do give us feedback. If this is something that you like, then uh, let us know and we will continue to do more of this kind of thing. If this is uh, really tedious and doesn't give you your uh, musical kicks that you come for, Sound of Play, every week, uh, then let us know that as well and we will promptly cut it out. <laughs> so what we heard coming into the show today is a remix of a song that we're going to be following through time, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, this was a remix of the theme song to the RoboCop video game, at least the Ocean Software version of it, originally composed by Jonathan Dunn. And then this remix on an album called The Spectrum Works, uh, highlighting some old specky tunes and uh, updating those, remixing them for the modern times, was composed or arranged, rather, by Alistair Brimble, another UK-based fellow. But Jonathan Dunn was one of those great old chip music composers. And so we're going to follow this tune on three different platforms, the Commodore 64, the ZX Spectrum, and the Game Boy. So let us start on the Commodore 64. 
anyone who's familiar with this piece of music from the Game Boy adaptation, which was probably the most famous version of this song, might recognize that this is quite a bit more subdued in its mood than the Game Boy version, which is very light, very chirpy, very uh, sunny, I would say. Uh, almost to the point where it doesn't really fit with the RoboCop theme, uh, but regardless, it's, it's a great piece of music, so I'm not complaining. But this version has a much heavier, bassy sound to it right off the bat. Uh, you can hear it really kind of dragging into those heavy, deep bass notes as that rhythm line kind of plays over the top. It creates a real sense of like atmosphere and space. It's vastly different than what I was familiar with before. So let's take each of these layers individually and see what we find. So in the Commodore version, the rhythm line, which serves as probably the main point of focus for the first minute or so of the song, repeats that same line over and over again. This is something that's going to remain fairly constant throughout the uh, various versions of the song. But what I'm interested about in this one is that it seems like the notes don't hit right on the beat. It sounds like there's a little bit of a warm-up to each note. It's just like the, the smallest thing, but when you listen for it, you can almost hear each note individually kind of revving up. Feels like every note is arriving just a little bit late to the party. Now this line, this rhythm line, is composed of sawtooth waves, which are probably the harshest waveforms that you're going to find in early chip music. It's what gives it this really kind of scratchy sound to it, as opposed to the square waves of the two bass tracks right now. In chip music, it's more common for bass notes to be represented by triangle waves, but I think that the choice of the square wave here makes these bass lines stand out. Let's listen to them individually and see what we can pick out. So these waves are doing roughly the same thing, uh, with some minor differences, which we're going to highlight because it's uh, it's kind of neat, these little touches. They're nearly identical waveforms, uh, just in a different pitch, and so between the two of them, they harmonize with each other. With this first one being a little bit higher, and the second one being a little bit lower. Now you'd never pick it up by listening to them individually, but if you put them together you can just barely make out 
that they aren't perfectly aligned with one another, which is interesting. The lower note starts and hits its peak just a tiny touch before the higher note gets there, leading to this interesting sound almost as if it's kind of like a gradient panning into this higher note. Almost like that, um, that, that shepherd staircase illusion in music. Not quite, but it has like a really interesting effect where they're not just harmonizing in perfect synchrony with one another, they're almost passing off the torch from the low note to the high note. for some of the audio distortions here. The method that I used to record these tracks from the Commodore was to emulate a SID chip on my computer. And so it's playing live code the best that it can through this emulated SID chip. But, uh, you know, there's, there's some imperfections, but that will be kind of ironed out once it gets squashed back into the full mix. So those are the component pieces of this first leg of the song. Let's mix the Sawtooth track back into that to hear what that sounds like again altogether. This is where the song gets interesting. Let's go into the second leg of the song here. In this part of the song, the third voice, which was previously the lower of the two square waves, splits its function between remaining a bass track and also providing percussion for the rest of the piece. Now, of course, the Commodore 64 SID chip only had three voices to work with at a time, and so if you wanted to get more complex compositions going on, then you had to layer up. You had to layer multiple instruments onto one voice, and you did this by playing one note and then quickly changing to another note and quickly changing back. And so you get this kind of auditory illusion that two types of instruments are playing on the same voice. They do that to really good effect here. They change back and forth between being a square wave and being a noise track for the percussion. And you can hear as well that the long droning notes of the bass are replaced by upbeat, almost bass slaps, so to speak. Uh, and of course, the energy is reinforced by the new percussion track, which brings a whole new light to this part of the music. Meanwhile, the upper square wave track transitions into dropping the bass entirely and just playing the lead track, which is a really interesting, uh, it, it's a weird waveform because. If you watch it in an oscilloscope, it kind of transitions back and forth rapidly between being a sawtooth wave and being a the most prototypical square wave that you've ever seen. But this plays what is essentially the lead part on the song, just for the small portion of the track, though.
So you can hear the clicks between the note transitions. Honestly, I don't know why that's done. Maybe that's to make the notes pop a little bit more, make them sound a little bit more distinct. Um, because maybe the note transitions would sound a little uh, sloppy, almost like they're being kind of flowed into one another if you didn't have that pop between them. Uh, but what I do really like is the vibrato. I guess that's, that's the violin term for it. I assume it's the same term. <laughs> and you can see on an oscilloscope these super compressed square waves kind of rocking back and forth and growing slowly apart from one another. And uh, yeah, it creates this sense of uh, like a very naturalistic sound, like a human voice or like an instrument. And you can hear on the held notes as well that there's definitely a ramping up to the right note. It, it kind of starts lower and eases its way into the note that it eventually wants to hit, which gives it a really cool sound once the entire mix is back together. What I like is that this lead part is anchored by these step-up scales. I, I don't know what the actual musical term would be, but it's like a two steps forward, one step backwards. So if you'll listen, it's just doing a sequence of three notes, going back to the second note, and starting another sequence of three notes from there. And so, yeah, like, you know, two steps forward, one step back to create this uh, almost like a staircase sound to it. And then later on in this lead line, they take that same motif and kind of do it backwards and faster. Feels like you're falling down the stairs or something like that, which actually <laughs> could be could be a good Robocop tie-in. And since the sawtooth wave isn't doing anything different during this part of the music, I'm going to just leave that for now. And we're going to go on to the third piece of this music. And this is kind of the outro to this Commodore 64 version of the song. This middle voice, the one that was uh, previously playing the lead line in this previous section, transitions back into the droning bass notes to kind of wind down the rest of the song. There's nothing harmonizing with it this time, it's just kind of laying it out on its own. Interestingly, the Satu wave at the top of the mix, that's playing the rhythm track, transitions into a different sound. It's a lot more subdued, almost like you're hearing it in the other room or something like that. And it's, uh, it, it's quieter, it's more contained, and it's kind of introducing this, uh, this winding down of the music. doesn't hit the same high notes. The sequence of notes that it goes for has been vastly simplified, and it leaves you wanting the resolution to that line, and it just doesn't give it to you. You know, you grew so attached to that, that phrase throughout the entire piece of music because that was the constant. It's almost like when you grow old and you start to lose your sight, and you, you're like, oh, you know, I kind of took it for granted all these years, but now that it's going it's it's like a it's like a sad nostalgia that you have for the resolution of that um that sequence of notes and the third voice 
drops the bass hits that was playing during the earlier section and just plays the percussion. There's a little bit of a tone to it, but it's, it's mostly percussive. Until pretty soon, even that drops out and it goes back to harmonizing with the upper bass track with another droning sound, just like before. And these are very different bass notes than we're used to hearing, which is interesting. I don't really know the reasoning behind that, why it so drastically changes on this last portion of the song, but uh, here we are. And then the first voice changes dramatically into droning notes as well, but they are more kind of lead uh, center of attention drone notes, so to speak. They have a really weird sound if you listen to them on their own. They're very metallic, they're very harsh and aggressive almost. Caustic, I guess is the right word for it. But it does mix in well when you listen to it in context of the rest of the voices. So, that brings us to the end of the Commodore 64 version of the song. Let's listen to that all together.
Let's move now to the ZX Spectrum version of the song. This was also released in 1988, and it's fairly similar, but we'll notice some differences along the way. The ZX Spectrum also has a three-voice sound system. I believe there's a fourth voice that's uh, reserved for like a beeper or something like that, but I, it's not really going to come into uh, any of the stuff that we're examining today, so that's it's a bit of a curio for now. <laughs> I'm no expert on that. So unlike the Commodore 64 version, each of these voices are all square waves this time, which gives us a slightly different sound, but it's, it's not too dissimilar. Let's listen to that lead line by itself. You'll notice it has a really nice sustain to it and uh, a bit of wobbliness to the sustain, almost like the uh, ringing of a telephone. The other two lines, which are the droning bass notes, are somewhat similar to the, how they are in the Commodore version, except a lot uh, brighter than they were over there, which, which were a lot more kind of moody and dark. But these ones are different in that they ramp up pretty quickly to their maximum volume, and then they ramp back down. Instead of being kind of perpetually loud, they ramp down to almost inaudible levels. You can still hear them, but it's vastly different than what we got in the, um, the previous version. It makes this one feel a lot more kind of hollow, not in a bad way, but there's a lot more kind of empty space that's being taken up by the rhythm line. Again, you'll notice when these two are played together that the bass notes are offset again, just like they were in the Commodore 64 version. And so the upper bass line plays just a little bit later than the lower bass line, which means that they don't hit their peak at exactly the same time and gives a little bit more of a dynamic, uh, natural sound. It's like waves of the ocean washing over you. So we go into the second leg of the song. The first voice stays the same, the second voice drops out for just a small little amount of time, and the third voice, just like on the Commodore 64 version, takes a dual role as percussion and bass, This one's a little bit livelier in my ear, I think just because the bass notes are a little bit higher than they were in the Commodore 64 version makes it all sound a little bit more traditionally video gamey. I don't know if that's the right way to put that. <laughs> and I really like the noise that they use for the percussion. It's a very typical chiptune video game sound, but yeah, I don't know, I just like it in the context of this mix. And we get back to the lead line. This is the same as it was before, at least note-wise, although the way that it's played is very different. It's a little bit higher, a little bit chirpier than the C64 version as everything else has been so far. But the notes feel like they're hit a lot more delicately and precisely. And there's no more kind of like warming up to the note that you want to hit. There's no more like... You know, it just, it hits the right note right off the bat, which makes it feel more kind of sudden and immediate. And then again, for the sustains, the volume drops down significantly, uh, but you can still hear a very um, distinct tremolo. Sounds a lot like a bird call or something. And just like before, it has its kind of emotional peak, so to speak on a high note before it leads into that really cool like falling down the stairs sound that I pointed out in the first mix. 
Although I like that a lot better in this version because it's a lot more distinct. You can really hear each individual note a lot more clearly. Although it's, uh, it's quieter. It's quieter than all the other waveforms in this sequence. And so I don't know why that was done that way. I mean, it's not a bad thing. It's just uh, being my favorite part of the mix. I kind of like to hear that stand out a little bit more. So here in the third leg of this music, the rhythm line, much like in the C64 version, doesn't complete the phrase any longer. It, again, kind of leaves you wanting there, but uh, it, it creates, it's like the sundown of this piece of music. The second voice goes from a lead line to droning bass notes again, where it will stay for the rest of the track. And the third voice goes from bass and percussion to simply percussion by itself. And finally, to take us out of this piece of music, the fourth leg of this journey, every track is playing long droning notes, all offset with one another, with the first voice playing much higher notes. And being familiar with the other mixes of uh, this piece of music, I'm familiar with the sequence of notes that it's trying to represent, but it's just so odd here. This is probably the biggest difference that we're going to catch between these three versions. It's, it's quite a bit different, and the effect, once it's all mixed together, is uh, significantly different as well. Let's listen to that all mixed together. And again, just like on the Commodore 64 version, some of the notes that the uh, bass lines hit feel a little aimless and not really complementary to the direction of the music, but it's not terrible, it's just kind of not so uh, immediate. Anyways, let's listen to the ZX Spectrum version altogether.
And finally, that takes us to the final mix, the Game Boy mix. This mix is significantly different than the other two. It's the same basic song, of course, but this one for one has more voices to work with. The Game Boy has four voices as opposed to the three of the ZX Spectrum and the C64. Although one of those voices is a noise wave. And then for the rest of the mix, we have two square waves and one triangle wave. So let's get into it. Let's isolate first, just to kind of get it out of the way, the noise wave. This is playing the percussive part of the music. And again, it's pretty similar to what we have before. It's a little bit more lively. There's a few more beats in here than we're used to hearing. And that's probably because this isn't being shared with any uh, bass parts. And so, you know, it's able to play those in-between notes that otherwise that space would have been taken up for those, um, those bass notes when it's sharing that track between those two instruments. And then let's work our way up the mix. So let's go to the triangle wave. This is playing essentially the equivalent of the droning bass notes. There's some theremin-like wobbling in there, the tremolo that you hear. It has an interesting mix of sliding smoothly between notes and then just hitting other notes very sharply. I don't really know why that choice was made, but it feels like it's uh, at the beginning of the measure that that changes over. So it's kind of like a reset of the phrase. And I guess they wanted it to be a little bit harsher at that point uh, to get that point across, but it's different and it's noticeable when you're listening to it by itself. The second square wave is also droning notes. Uh, these ones are pretty similar to the ones that we heard in the previous tracks that would come in hot and then fade away and come in hot and fade away again. Uh, but these ones are different because there's no warm up. It just hits the note and lets it kind of fade away and and drags out that sustain, and then it hits the note very sharply again. And what you hear is that there's not a lot of uh, reverb or echo to these notes. Once the sustain has finished, then it drops back into pretty much silence again. And then let's listen to that rhythm line, the very recognizable rhythm line all by itself. You'll notice that this is quite a bit slower than the previous versions that we were looking at. I'm not sure why that is, but this version feels more upbeat and more lively and, and happier, almost. It feels like they settled on a really nice equilibrium, and I think that the instruments of the Game Boy really bring out the most of this piece of music. But that's just a personal opinion, of course. Perhaps the extra liveliness comes from the more intricate percussion track that this time plays throughout the entire piece of music, even during this intro and during the outro, and of keeping a constant energy. And you have to think, was that because of the different use case of the Game Boy rather than the other kind of home computer systems where you would sit down and play what you were hoping to be kind of a big epic experience, whereas on Game Boy, you might want something that's a little bit more kind of attention grabbing and always more immediate because it's a pick up and play system. You're going to be playing it in the car and the on the go. And so, you know, something that's a little bit more upbeat might serve that purpose better. So let's go into the second part of this song. The third voice, the one that was the ever-sustaining triangle wave, drops out completely. And then the really harsh square wave drone in the second voice that we were listening to earlier that faded to silence uh, now doesn't do that anymore. 
it's a lot warmer, it kind of fills those spaces, and this is primarily because that triangle wave has dropped out, and so it has to take over more of that base space. And I love that each of these phrases resolves with almost like a sound effect that bounces between the two speakers or headphones, however you're listening to it. Very harshly from right to left. And I'm not really sure what the purpose of this was because the Game Boy only had one speaker, but I guess if you are listening to it with headphones, you'd probably get that effect. But I love this kind of thing. I brought this up in the uh, Katamari Damacy special that we did when we were looking at uh, tracks from those games. Let's listen to that bass track together with the noise track. So after one phrase resolves, the triangle wave track transforms into a sawtooth track and plays the lead again, just like the previous versions. And what I really like about this is that in between the notes, you can almost hear like a harmonic version of the same note. It's like a, like a higher version of the note that it's almost kind of accidentally hitting between each note. And I don't know if that's intentional or whether that's just the way that Game Boy music was, the way that this chip would interpret the changes of notes, but I, I think it's a cool effect. And this version of the lead doesn't have any spaces. It's all kind of filled with sound so to speak, and an almost a near constant volume sound as well. Uh, it doesn't have as much kind of dynamic range as the other versions have, which is fine, but it just makes it a little bit harsh to listen to on its own. What you'll notice is that there's a lot of really cool close harmonies between the bass line and this new lead line. creating some nice, kind of good-feeling musical moments as you explore it. And I love how emotional the second half of this lead line sounds. Like, it's really just crying out. It's great. And then, of course, we get back to that uh, falling down the stairs section, which I like so much. Uh, this one significantly changes the sound of the instrument for that. In the next leg of the music, the second voice drops out, that was previously playing the bass line, and the lead line transitions back into a triangle wave and plays a light, airy bass, a long droning note underneath the rhythm line, which is essentially soloing now. This is being played without the noise track. And just like in the previous versions of the song, the rhythm line transitions into not resolving its phrase. Again, a really cool effect, just like the sunset over the sea, as I said before. This next part of the song has a very different feeling than anything that we've come across so far. The first two voices that was previously playing the rhythm track and the now muted bass track have changed significantly, and they are again hitting these kind of long sustain notes, just like in the very beginning of the song. Although while the bass track is essentially kind of reiterating upon what it did at the beginning of the song, the first voice 
is doing something significantly different. It's kind of panning between two notes as the volume decreases. And the effect of these together is super cool because unlike what we've experienced in the other versions of the song where these sustained notes would be offset from one another to give them uh, like that passing of the torch kind of sound like we heard before, almost like an evolution of the sound from the low note into the high note, these ones hit at exactly the same time and it just makes it sound like they hit with so much power. And again, it goes without saying, you'll notice that the first voice is playing the same sequence of notes every time, and then the second voice, the bass line, is doing a different droning note each time, which uh, harmonizes differently with each of the ones that the first voice is doing, which I just think is a really nice touch. The third voice, the triangle wave, has gone into a much lighter note. You hardly even recognize that it's there, especially since the first two voices dominate so much of the attention. But they fade really nicely into this really pleasant, light drone note. And as we listen to it on its own, you'll notice that the transitions from note to note are very harsh, but there's really no reason why they shouldn't be, because it's being vastly outshadowed by what the other two lines are doing. You can hardly even hear the transition on this very minor line. So really no reason to do anything fancy here. And then the entire track loops again and uh, starts at the very beginning of the song again, which I always think is a really nice resolution. So now that we've mastered this piece of music, let's hear this entire piece of music all together now. But before we do that, I want to say thank you for joining me on this experimental episode of Sound of Play. Again, we welcome your feedback. If this is something that you would like us to do more of, then uh, we can certainly do that. You know, I'd love to explore some pieces from the N64 or from the Super Nintendo and uh, as well as this kind of older chiptune music as well uh, you know we can we can brainstorm uh, but if this is something that you haven't really enjoyed then uh, then let us know that as well and we will not waste your time with any more of these divergences we are happy to just go back to playing video game music because uh, that's what we're here to do in the first place anyways so <laughs> um, I hope that this was at least somewhat educational uh, I'd like to give some thanks to uh, some folks who have helped me along the way. I'd like to thank Mike Melanson and his website, Cirrus Retro, which is super cool. If you're into this kind of thing, dissecting video game music, Cirrus Retro is a web player with a ton of old chiptune music, and you can mute individual instruments and listen to them each on their own. So it's a really great resource uh, for anyone to do what we're doing here, essentially. Also, thanks to Zircon from Overclocked Remix for pointing me in the right direction on a couple of these pieces of software that I used to convert some of this old music. I learned a lot about this whole process by doing this, so, <laughs> so it'll be much easier to put together next time around. If you would like to get in contact with us, you can tweet us at CaneAndRinse, or you can join our forum, CaneAndRinse.com slash forum, of course named CaneAndRinse after our primary podcast where we talk about video games exhaustively every week. This week, non-patrons will have access to an issue on Bioshock Infinite, which is a really, really cool issue. I just did the edit on that one, and I uh, was very excited by some of the conversations that were happening, really insightful, and uh, always fun to see Josh Garrity get a little worked up, huh? <laughs> Maybe it's just me. 
please do check that out. Subscriptions and ratings help us out a ton on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. I've been Ryan Heyman. You can catch me every other week on Sound of Play. Although I say that in two weeks' time, we have another of our specials. Every 10 Sounds of Play, we do a special based on either a series of games or the works of a composer or even works in a specific year. There's always some sort of a guiding theme for us to do a longer Sound of Play show featuring more music. And I believe in a couple weeks' time, Leon and McKeel will be joining forces to talk about some of the music from... Uh, from old shoot-em-ups. <laughs> so look forward to that. Anyways, let's leave you with this wonderful piece of music that we should know intimately by now. This is the Game Boy mix of the Robocop theme, composed by Jonathan Dunn. And just like Jonathan, I am done with the podcast for the week. <laughs>